I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Conference USA Underdog Podcast on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football. Believe it or not, we got a few Conference USA games in last week, despite everything going on in the world, and we are ready to dive into those with you all this afternoon. Joe Lonigan, Eric Henry here with you once again. Eric, how's your weekend, my friend? Pretty eventful. Uh, first things first, and I apologize to those of you maybe listening in other parts of the United States that are probably a little bit cooler, but hey, I watched on weather, I want to say it was yesterday, that we are 16 or 17 degrees colder than normal, and that we are projected to be colder than Wyoming the yesterday and today. So I do not feel bad about saying it was a chilly weekend here in the Sunshine State. So uh, th- that's about it. But caught up on some on some CUSA football, pretty eventful weekend, which we'll get into. But yeah, man, the the cold front has reached the Sunshine State. In quotes, that's a cold in quotes, of course. <laughs> yeah, shut up, Wyoming. Anyway, um, <laughs> I don't know why I got aggro on Wyoming there, but anyway, a um, lot to talk about as far as CUSA news today. But first, let's dive into some recaps from last week. Uh, Louisiana Tech paid North Texas a visit and won that game 42 to 31. Louisiana Tech, first game since Halloween. So they had more than a month off as uh, <laughs> this past Wednesday was December or this past Thursday. Thursday, rather, was December 3rd. Uh, Israel Tucker led the way for the Bulldogs' workhorse-type performance, 37 carries, 161 yards, and two touchdowns. Uh, Obviously contributed a lot to his team's win there. Um, Meanwhile, on North Texas, not too shabby of a day from them, just came up a little short. Jason Bean, 17 of 30, 231 yards through the air with three touchdown passes. All of them were to Mr. Jalen Darden. Eight catches for 135 yards there. Uh, so I think Louisiana Tech just kind of got hit with like the bad luck all year, right? In terms of having to reschedule games and deal with injuries and, and all this nonsense. Um, I think had this year gone a little bit differently in terms of, you know, not being in the midst of a global pandemic, the Bulldogs would once again be, you know, in the uh, conference title game conversation, which we'll get to in a little bit. Yeah, Joe, I don't think there's anything, any, any doubt about that. You know, first thing that jumped out to me when I, I saw the numbers of the game, didn't have a chance to watch it in its entirety, went back and watched some of it on the back end. Israel Tucker, 37 carries. That's not something that we'd seen in a little while because of the emergence of Justin Henderson. However, this year, and you probably got to chalk up to COVID and, you know, maybe just being an off year for a lot of guys, not just Justin Henderson. I don't want to single him out, but he hasn't really – um, he hasn't been able to follow up his performance that he had last year for, uh, you know, like I said, a probably a myriad of reasons coming off the, the COVID year and, the, and not having spring and et cetera, et cetera. So to see Israel Tucker get 37 touches for a buck 61 and two scores, a great performance by him, but just shocking because a, that had really kind of been Justin Henderson's role last year and B you kind of thought they had split those carries throughout the year. Second thing, 
Luke Anthony was efficient enough to get the job done, the 13 of 20 and two scores. But to your point about the Bulldogs attack, you know, probably would have been in that CUSA title race as far as the West goes. They've had guys opt out, you know, Adrian Hardy opted out. Well, I'm Willie Baker, excuse me, Willie Baker, defensive end, outside linebacker. He's been hurt most of the year. Donovan Campbell, the left tackle, opted out. So it's just been probably a, a, a just kind of a confluence of things throughout the what has been a tumultuous and kind of mind-boggling 2020 college football season. So definitely that on the tech end of things. And for North Texas, Jason Bean gets the start. Kind of in- interested to see what happens going forward in terms of, you know, with North Texas, I don't know how you feel about it. And of course they have the game scheduled on the 11th against UTEP, which we'll get into in the later part of the podcast. Do you feel they're any closer to resolving the quarterback situation? And it's not that both guys have played bad. Both guys have shown flashes of being good players, but this almost ended up being like spring ball extended because I don't know who you go with next year. And of course we don't know either Bean or Austin, Ani, one of those guys may choose to transfer out, but I don't think you're any closer to really resolving the quarterback situation. And maybe it's, it's a good problem to have. I'm sure there's some CUSA programs would be like, all right, at least we have two guys we feel comfortable with, but yeah, that's kind of my big takeaway for, for North Texas. Yeah. I'm in agreement with you on that. I think if I was a betting man, I would say that it's sometime during this off season, either Jason Bean or Austin Ani transfers out to kind of find a starting opportunity for themselves uh, somewhere amongst the, the G5 or FCS ranks. But yeah, no, that's a good point. Based on both of their uh, performances this year, it doesn't seem like either one of them has really separated themselves as the clear starter, which, as you said, not to play, not to say either of them have played poorly. It's just they're, you know, it seems like they got like, like they were twins switched at birth almost, at least in terms of their playing style. But um, I think just in terms of the overall performance of North Texas, obviously I think more of that falls on the defense more so than the offense. And this game's a great example, but yeah, no, that's a really solid point about what North Texas is dealing with on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah. So, you know, like I said, it's something that definitely you have to keep it on throughout the off season. Now, of course, one person that both you and I are assuming they won't have back is Jalen Darden. And as I mentioned on last week's mm-hmm. podcast, he's probably been the second or third or fourth best quarterback in CUSA in terms of just his ability as a receiver, the eight catches for a buck 35 and three scores shows that if you have Jalen Darden on your team, you know, he's definitely in that Victor Tucker, Tim Jones, Adrian Hardy kind of, you know, level of being, the the top receiver in conference USA for my money, I'd probably put him and Victor Tucker as kind of my one, a one B, but yeah, overall, you know, I, I will say I did pick North Texas. So I was wrong on that one. I got to concede that, but good win for Louisiana tech. And like you said, if this were a normal year, you would expect them to be finished somewhere around seven and, and well, not just a seven, five, right. Eight and four, nine and three, and be in contention for the West. Watching Jalen Darden play. It's like, when you would watch like peewee football and the other team would clearly have the kid that got held back a grade <laughs> and like <laughs> watching him, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like watching him play against some of these defenses this year has been really like impressive just in terms of his like overall ability. When you compare it to a lot of the defenses he's had to face, it's just a shame that he hasn't really had much help. Um, from the other receivers on that offense. And obviously the North Texas defense as well, hasn't really put them in a position to succeed. I, I, I wish I had sent you the meme. 
there was a deal I'd seen on Twitter today where you mentioned the kid who got held back and is clearly more is bigger and more developed than the rest of the kids. There was a deal going around on Twitter where it's this massive kid who's playing like fourth grade football, and there's you know a much more diminutive kid who's got the ball, and the bigger kid's about to tackle him, and and the caption is, "If this is your kid, what do you tell him?" And I think the funniest response I saw was from a kid saying, "I'm yelling at my kid, drop the ball and get in the car." <laughs> <laughs> drive me home <laughs> at that point oh man go ahead man I'll, i i just have to throw that one out at you <laughs> no you're good uh then we jump into probably the most res- uh well i was gonna say the most surprising result of the weekend but i think we had two that kind of fall into that category uh number 21 marshall their undefeated season has come to an end uh they lose 20 to zip to uh rice on saturday uh grant wells You know, Eric, you and I were talking about this off air, but probably his worst game to date, Uh, 18 of 35 for 165 yards, five interceptions, which, you know, as you noted, you could probably say that two of those were not his fault. But if three of those are your fault, that's still a pretty bad day if you're a quarterback. Uh, Meanwhile, Rice uh, definitely got some uh, some breaks in this one as well. Uh, they win this one 20 to nothing, including uh, 10 points in the third quarter. So, you know, I mean, if you had told me Rice was going to pull off this upset, I'd, I'd be doubtful. But, I mean, if you told me they were going to blank the number 21 team in the country, I would not have believed you at all. Joe, if you told me that Rice was going to go in and pull off the upset, I definitely would have been a little bit skeptical. If you told me they were going to go in and blank them, I would not have believed it at all. If you told me they were going to do it without Mike Collins and Austin Trammell, their top quarterback and receiver, I would have said you were nuts. Credit Mike Bloomgren, as I wrote in the three things piece uh, earlier this week. This is the signature win. And I'm not a huge fan of that phrase, signature win. You know, I don't think there's one solitary win that changes things for your program. And all of a sudden it's the turning point and, you know, everything's fine. You see plenty of coaches who get that signature win that turns out to be fluky in year one and year two. And by year four, they're, you know, on the, on the chopping block looking for a job. But in this case, Joe, I am a believer because this is the ball game that Mike Bloomgren has built the entire foundation of Rice football on, quote-unquote, intellectual brutality. That's the hashtag that they're marketing Rice football with. Giovanni Johnson steps in, 10 of 14 for 86 yards, nothing special as a passer. He's a guy who can use his legs and definitely kept some plays alive. They got a solid performance on the, on the rushing and in the run game, but the defense was incredible. Blaze Aldridge. 10 tackles, three solo, three solo stops, uh, half a tackle behind the, the line of scrimmage. Trishon Chamberlain is one of the best players in Conference USA that you may, might not know. In that scheme right there, he's listed as a linebacker, but he's kind of a hybrid linebacker, safety, nickel, jack-of-all-trades guy. Just a great job defensively by Rice. This is the ball game, like I said, that, you know, they've been building this program for three years to win this type of ball game. And as I said to you uh, off-air, Joe, and I'll mention this for our listeners, Probably the craziest play that I think I've seen all year. I thought the quadruple doink would have been the most bizarre thing I've seen all year. It was in the second quarter. Rice was driving down the field, looking to make it 14 zero. The latest flag that I have ever seen thrown in a football game. I'll try to give the listeners a quick synopsis. Rice fourth and one looking to punt. They call a fake. The gunner for Rice is held up by the Marshall defender who has no idea. He's oblivious to the fact that it's a fake. And obviously he's trying to jam the gunner to prevent him from getting downfield and making a tackle. And it was a clear hold, hold or pass interference, whatever you want to call it, but it was a clear hold. And the referees missed the call. 
Mike Bloomgren was not leaving the field. I know it's our, our Steve Helwick who covers Rice for UDD. He noted it. Uh, Taylor McCarver, the former Rice quarterback, who uh, is doing a great job down there in Houston as, uh, as an analyst for Rice, he noted it that it's probably the latest time they've ever seen a referee throw a flag. Mike Bloomgren raced out to midfield to talk to an official, pointed at the replay board, and then you saw the officials who, uh, I'm sorry, I don't know which conference they're from offhand. I sh should look that up and try to correct that uh, uh, as we go, but they look up at the replay board and we're kind of like, oh, shoot, we missed the call. And it was the right call, but don't get me wrong. I understood why Doc Holliday, once they threw the flag, then became incensed because at that point, Joe, it's like, you got to make the call or, or you can't. You know, it's not because that in essence, Joe, is essentially instant replay in football and not instant replay in terms of the things that you can re replay. But if you start doing that, then, you know, I'm sure Butch Davis, there are a ton of plays this year that he would have just liked to race out the midfield and say, stop the game. <laughs> and you got to correct that. So. Yeah, I mean, I think replay is kind of a blessing and a curse in that regard. I think in this case, it was definitely a blessing because, as you noted, it was clearly the right uh, call. But, <laughs> yeah, it was super late. So uh, curious to see how, you know, more situations like this arise, uh, you know, just within college football, just based on what we saw on Saturday. But I think, you know, you kind of hit on the fact that like this was Rice's signature win of the season. Uh, Mike Bloomgren, you know, clearly has, you know, looked at everything that's happened with the, the pandemic and just said, it, you know, we're not going to let this um, dictate how we're going to approach our game. And it really shown through in this uh, performance against Marshall here. So definitely a lot more Marshall stuff to talk about uh, later on, but we'll get to that. And uh, let's dive into Georgia Southern beating FAU 20 to three in this game. Uh, another upset performance, I guess you could say just based on uh, what we were looking at last week, but uh, really just a disappointing day for Javion Posey, a quarterback, two interceptions, 107 yards on just seven completions. Uh, meanwhile, on the Georgia Southern side, had a punt return by Caleb Hood, as well as a, a solid day from Justin Tomlin, 20 carries for 78 yards, uh, as is typical of the triple option offense, spread the rushing love around there. Um, but, you know, I think we did see uh, Nick Tronti kind of re-enter the fold in this game after uh, Posey was pulled, throwing those two picks, but um, not the kind of performance we really expected out of FAU. Um, so interested to see how they kind of rebound from this. Um, I mean, uh, let's be honest, their season's probably done just with COVID and everything, which is unfortunate. But um, yeah, it's just interesting to see how they kind of ended on this note here. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll see what happens because they do have the, the scheduled game with with Southern Miss and, as you mentioned, with COVID and some of the games already being canceled that we'll note in the second half of this podcast. You never know what can happen. But, Joe, I don't want to say that I was necessarily surprised by this result. I will say this. A lot of FAU fans who I had made the point that I, I felt that this was a very winnable game for the Owls, especially given the in my opinion, I feel that FA is the more talented team, and I noted that on Twitter. But when you're playing that triple option offense, Joe, you watch enough football to know that it's one that isn't reliant on necessarily talent. It's one that is, if we practice this scheme, we can insert any guy and they can run it well because this is our scheme, right? And, and I hope I'm not overly simplifying things for our audience, but that triple option is just one that it's run so, you know, not very many teams in FBS football are, are running it. So if you have to prepare for quote unquote, the spread or quote unquote, normal 
offense for eight, nine weeks out of the year. And all of a sudden you throw everything out. You've been learning and try to prepare for a triple option. It can be tough. And that was the case with Georgia Southern who were actually missing shy works, their starting quarterback, missing their starting running back. And I believe the second leading rusher as well. But again, with that system, you just insert three guys who we've recruited and trained and, you know, practice for this system and they're able to run it to success. And as you mentioned, you know, the quote unquote reemergence of Nick Tronti with JV on posing the two interceptions, that certainly didn't help things. FAU actually blocked two kicks in this game. Evan Anderson, defensive tackle, a freshman. I want to emphasize a freshman, 6'3", 355. He is going to be a monster in this league by the time he's a junior or senior. Probably going to remind you of North Texas's Deion Noville as you know the, the top nose guard defensive tackle in, in Conference USA if he's able to actualize his potential. But all in all, I'd say that was my major takeaway from this game. I did get a chance to watch the entire, the entire game. It's just that it's so hard to prepare for that type of wishbone, flexbone, triple option, those type of offenses that you won't see once every two or three years. It's hard to prepare for it. And especially when it's just like, all right, you know, our starting quarterback is hurt. That's cool. We got another guy who can run it. <laughs> so a uh, major takeaway from there. And and we'll see what happens as far as FAU this upcoming week against Southern Miss. Absolutely. It's rare that you see those those wishbone type offenses at this level of football. But when you do, it's it's hard to stop them, uh, especially when you run it extremely well, as George Southern has proven they are able to do over the last few years. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Uh, So with that, let's wrap up last week's recap with uh, Western Kentucky and Charlotte. Tops win that Sunday matchup 37-19. Tyrell Pigram threw a touchdown in this game uh, for also had 218 yards through the air. Gage Walker, 19 carries for 98 yards. Um, yeah. I mean, I think this was kind of the tops is um, it was easily their best performance of the year. I was going to say their opus, but I feel like that's a little over. Um, Charlotte, obviously not a bad team, but I think just really everything kind of started coming together. They started, you know, really showing some chemistry along the offensive line. That's why we saw the type of rushing days that we saw out of them. Um, and I think just everything really kind of came together. And it's a shame for Tyson Helton's sake that um, it took them as long as it did for everything to kind of come together here. But, um, you know, I think a performance like this, honestly, as someone who watches a lot of Western Kentucky football kind of reassures me that they're on the right track. They just kind of got unlucky with a lot of the injuries and, um, you know, other kind of issues that they faced uh, this year. Certainly not to the the degree that some of the other teams, even within this conference did, but uh, things were looking a little weird (laughs) in the beginning of the season there, especially given the fact that like, you know, Tyson Helton had them playing as well as they did in 2019. But um, seeing them bounce back in this way, I think a lot of tops fans can kind of be reassured now. Joe, before I go on a, on a two minute spiel here, I just want to ask you a quick question as someone who follows Western Kentucky football. I'm going to read these numbers off to you 18 to 27 for 218, one touchdown, eight carries for 60 yards. Tyrell Pigram kind of mm-hmm. sounded a little bit like a Western Kentucky, Western Kentucky quarterback last year who was able to lead in success, right? Yeah, it, it did. Um, sounded a little bit like Ty Story when he got into his rhythm there. 
I so here's the, the follow-up question. If Tyrell Pickering can come back and he can be this guy, and how much of, you know, as you mentioned, him taking a little while to get into rhythm was a, a factor of the crazy offseason we had. If he's coming back next year and it's the quarterback and you get this kind of performance and he's this guy you've kind of seen in the last few weeks, you gotta feel confident that the tops will have a better year next year, correct? I do for two reasons. I mean, A, like you said, he's kind of coming into form now a little bit later than we would have liked, but there's a lot of factors that went into that. And B, as we discussed, I don't think there's anybody else in that QB room right now. (laughs) So, um, yeah, no, I think trying to just seeing him develop over the course of the last month or so has been very encouraging. Yeah, so I know, you know, for those guys who are regular listeners to the podcast, I've probably talked about Tyrell Pigram a lot because when you look at him, he always looks like one of the top five athletes on the field. Not the biggest guy, but he's got enough of an arm to make the throws. I, I've seen that arm live when I covered the FIU Charlotte, FIU Charlotte, FIU Western Kentucky game up in Bowling Green. Definitely quick enough to scramble and get your first down and make plays. Just wasn't able to put it all together early on in the year. But in these last few weeks, I've been really impressed with him sticking in there, especially after being benched for Kavaris Thomas, able to come back and make some things happen. And I truly believe that if he chooses to come back to Western Kentucky next year with whatever remaining talent is left, I mean, so obviously they're going to lose D'Angelo Malone and you know some of the seniors on defense. But I think Ty Story, Ty Story, I think Tyson Helton is in good position. <laughs> Ty Story. I think Tyson Helton's in good position as a head coach at the quarterback position. And that's the one thing that we've kind of questioned about this team in the early going. Outside of that, the major takeaway was nice to see Gage Walker get going, 19 carries for 98 yards. He's a guy once again, you don't know if he will choose to return or not or, or go elsewhere or declare for the draft. But if he comes back to Western Kentucky, that gives him a nice combo. For Charlotte, they definitely looked like a team that had not played in however many weeks. I believe it was something like 37 days, if my memory is correct. Since they had last played a live football game, they looked like that. I don't care what anyone says. Yes, on paper, Charlotte is not 18 points less talented than Western Kentucky. I, I think both of us believe that. But when one team's been playing games in succession and the other team hasn't, it is hard to keep that rhythm. It's hard to keep guys engaged, Joe. I'm sure you would agree with this. It's hard to keep the guys keep telling them, hey, practice, stay disciplined with the COVID, with, you know, keeping yourself away from COVID and whatnot week after week, only to be disappointed, especially in the case of Charlotte, sometimes hours before kickoff. All right, we did all that practicing and all that discipline, and then we're not playing. So I'm sure that's played a a huge factor. And my final takeaway before I pass it back to you, Victor Tucker, the thing that this season deprived us of, deprived us of, excuse me, is, in my opinion, the top receiver in Conference USA. As mentioned prior, you can, you know, flip a coin between he and Jalen Darden. But Vic Tucker, eight catches for a buck 11. I think he is the top route runner in Conference USA, just a phenomenal receiver, always finds a way to get open. But this season's deprived him of, that deprived us of really a full season of him. And that's a shame, but all in all kind of my takeaways from, from the game and a result I expected because one team's played, the other team hasn't. Yeah, I would fully agree with that. Keeping uh, 18, 19, 20, 21 year olds engaged for a month and a half without playing an actual game is extremely difficult. So uh, the fact that Will Healy was able to keep them together as much as he did uh, is, is actually pretty impressive in my book. 
Um, so with that, then we mentioned it at the top, but lots of news within Conference USA to get into, and it is mostly uh, transfers and NFL draft related. So we'll uh, we'll dive into a few of these. Uh, Eric, I'll read off uh, as many of these as I have in my notes here, and then you can sure. kind of tell me which are the ones that um, you find most significant. And then, of course, we can dive into the FIU specific ones, just since that's uh, your wheelhouse um but to start off with isaiah green had a little bit of a uh cloudy past at uh marshall just with playing time and off and on performances but he is now transferring to uh tennessee states he will fight for a roster spot with the tigers uh western kentucky guard tyler witt is transferring as a grad student he was obviously an important part of what that offense has been able to accomplish in the last couple of years uh quarterback weston elliott will be leaving louisiana tech MTSU offensive lineman Rob Jones heading to the NFL draft. Uh, ODU wide receiver and ex-Virginia Tech guy Eric Kuma will enter the NFL draft. Um, more good news for the tops. North Dakota State running back Adam Cofield will transfer to Bowling Green. And then, of course, at FIU, uh, Stone Norton transferring out. Uh, FIU defensive lineman Noah Curtis has declared for the draft and then uh the one that uh just kind of came over the wire here uh jeremiah holloman the former georgia wide receiver and uh had eight catches for 101 yards and a touchdown and four games at fiu this year is entering the portal once again so uh eric taking the fiu guys out of the equation which of these kind of feels the most significant to you I'm going to pick three guys here. I'm going to start with Isaiah Green. Not necessarily that it's significant in terms of Conference USA, but I think you and I, when we talked about him a ton last year on the podcast, we saw the flashes. We saw a very talented guy who just couldn't string it together and have consistent success. It was always, you'd see the flashes, and then he'd turn it over a couple times. And he was able to lead that team to two bowl games, but I think at this level, at the FCS level at Tennessee State, that's probably his best route for success and wishing him nothing but the best. So that was significant. The second one is Robert Jones, as Joe Spears reported that he's into the NFL draft. He's an intriguing guy because he's a very big athletic guy, a Juco prospect who ended up at MTSU last year and didn't give up a sack in entire season last year, played mostly on the right side. Definitely be intrigued to see where he plays going forward. I, I don't think he necessarily shapes him as a guard. Definitely think he's a tackle, but really athletic guy, very impressive size, looking to see what happens with him. And the third one that I'm going to kind of look at here is Eric Kuma. Don't want to say I'm, you know, shocked per se, because I think a lot of guys, given just the uncertainty around this offseason as far as the transfer portal and the one-time transfer waiver that's going to come into place and eligibility in terms of just how different rosters are going to look. And we'll talk about FIU in a second. Their roster is going to look significantly different next year. I think Eric Kuma would have benefited, in my opinion, may have benefited from a year at ODU and a full season of putting together film because he kind of had a weird kind of, you know, year and a half stint at Old Dominion and prior to his, his career at Virginia Tech also wasn't, you know, he made some plays, but wasn't necessarily a full-time starter for his entire time there. So I thought he may have came back but he'll just put his efforts and training to the NFL. So those were kind of the ones that, that intrigued me the most. Um, the rest of them, you know, also significant as well. I mean, Cruz Holt leaving, he's been a solid CUSA kicker, Tyler Witt, Tyler Witt for Western Kentucky, four-year starter, but those were the ones that jumped out to me. 
Yeah, I would agree, especially on your your Eric Kuma take. I think from what we've seen of him, he's obviously very talented. And I agree that he probably would have benefited from a little more film. Um, and more importantly, in my opinion, anyway, I think that really messes up what Old Dominion could have been next year had he come back. Uh, you look at some of the plays that he did have, even in his short time at Old Dominion, and I feel like he would have been uh, an extremely valuable piece of that offense heading into 2021. Uh, but I feel like these guys don't make this decision um, without feeling like they're absolutely ready for the next level. And like, look, I'm not equating my own life experiences to theirs. Not at all. I'm just saying when you have your mind set on something and something as significant as COVID comes along and messes up the timeline <laughs> so much, you you're going to, at least try to stick to your original timeline as much as you can. Cause I feel like if he had 2020 to, you know, actually play, obviously old dominion played zero games this fall, then I feel like he would have made this decision regardless. So I feel like he, he obviously had made, had his mind made up like heading into this fall. Um, and then, yeah, I think you covered it with Isaiah green uh, just to continues to be an interesting saga with his college career. Um, and then, I mean, selfishly, I'm excited to see what uh, Adam Cofield brings to the table um, more than we, we could potentially get another year of gauge Walker, but in the event that he uh, moves on, then I feel like that bolsters the running back depth in a significant way for the tops. Um, so with that, let's, let's talk about some of these FIU guys um, that we, we mentioned just because obviously Eric, you've spent a ton of time around that program and have a, a great insight into what each of these mean. Uh, let's start with stone Norton. Um, what do you think his departure from the program means uh, a for FIU and B for him? For FIU, it leaves them in a situation where that's just another talented quarterback. At the time when Stone Norton signed, he was the highest rated, excuse me, the highest rated quarterback signing in the history of the program. And that leaves them without a talented quarterback in a program and a situation coming off a year in which they are no closer to establishing their starting quarterback. We all know this year, FIU's, their passing games probably looked the worst in Conference USA and quite frankly, was one of the worst in all of FBS football. Stone Norton started two games for him. The biggest thing that I think for FIU fans, and maybe for Stone, I have not talked to him yet. We have not, I do anticipate I'll get a chance to talk to him. We have not had a chance to talk to many players this year due to COVID and the circumstances around it. But I do know from people close to him that there was, you know, maybe a little bit of frustration given the way the quarterback situation played out in terms of, I don't believe there was a game that I'm racking my brain. I covered all five. I don't believe there was a game that a quarterback went wire to wire, started the game, finished the game and wasn't, you know, rotated out at any point in time. That is absolutely Butch Davis that said, Hey, you know, he was very clear. This situation could look a lot like 2018 when I rotated James Morgan and Christian Alexander for four games until I felt comfortable that one guy had separated himself from the other. As the season showed, he never felt that either the quarterbacks Kalen Wiggins, Stone Norton, or Max Bornschlager separate themselves. For Stone, I'm very intrigued to see where he ends up. He was a guy who had some late P5 kind of feelers out there as he was closing down his, his recruitment, but was a very early FIU signee. Felt very comfortable with Rich Skrosky in the offense there. Definitely want to see where he ends up, whether it's a group of five school or even a conference USA school. would be worth watching. So that's definitely the situation uh, with Stone Norton. Um. Did you want me to uh, just run through all of them or do you want to kind of go uh, individually and we go piece by piece? 
Yeah, no, let's just dive into all of the, these three major pieces with, with Norton, Noah Curtis, and uh, Holloman here. What, uh, what do you kind of make of their departures? Sure. So for Noah, that's another one that's really interesting, Joe. Heading into 2019, he was ranked by various services. I, when, when I did the top 50 players in CUSA, um, kind of just my own ranking in, uh, for Underdog Dynasty, I had Noah Curtis there as well because he's a guy who, if you look at him, Joe, he looks – D'Angelo Malone is listed at 6'4", 230. Noah Curtis is a bigger man than him. Noah Curtis is legit 6'5", 6'6", 250, 255. I, I don't have the numbers on me, but probably just as equally as athletic – However, he had his best year as a sophomore in which he had 49 tackles. I believe he had three sacks. I'm kind of reciting these numbers from, from memory here. But junior year and senior year, obviously you know what happened this year with COVID and the numbers are going to dip for everyone all the way around. But he just never really turned into that dominant force that you would have expected. That D'Angelo Malone, Alex Highsmith, Marcus Davenport, you know, that type of guy. Even a Juwan Jones of Western Kentucky never really turned to – that guy, Leighton McCarthy you know, type, uh, you know, you can run down the list of really solid defensive ends that have played at Conference USA over the past couple of years, never fully turned into that guy. Now, with that being said, as I, the reason I led with his athleticism and his size, I absolutely think that Noah is someone who has all the measurables to play in the NFL. Uh, big thing for him is going to be a pro day. We'll see what happens with Pro days coming up this year because of COVID. And we know what happened last year with some teams were able to have pro days. Some teams weren't. Uh, unfortunately, hurt a lot of kids and especially um, or including FIU kids last year. And that they had their pro day canceled. A lot of their kids that do the virtual pro day. And with a lot of these all-star games that guys like James Morgan, Stanley Thomas Oliver, um, Sage Lewis, et cetera, went to and kind of helped their potential. If Noah isn't invited to that type of situation, I don't know how it's going to play out in terms of draft stock. But in terms of his physical tools, he's absolutely an NFL player. Now, I'll try to wrap up quick here on Holloman. He was someone who came to FIU with huge potential. He was someone who was, a uh, when you look at the 247 ranking, that four-star, top of the four-star, borderline five-star prospect, uh, depending on you know what kind of stock you want to put into those 247 rankings, started as a, as a redshirt freshman at, at Georgia. I believe it was a redshirt freshman, if memory serves me correct. You saw the talent there. I mean, he played in the, I want to say it was the Sugar Bowl game for Georgia, made touchdown catches against UF and, you know, the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. Uh, that rivalry game was someone who, when he departed from Georgia under some circumstances in which there, there was an uh, alleged domestic assault or alleged, alleged assault, I, I should say, I'll phrase it that way, uh, got to FIU and redshirted in 2019 and really felt that in normal circumstances, he would have been one of the top players in Conference USA. I was on the record as saying that he, the moment he touched the field, he would be the most dynamic athlete in Conference USA. And Joe, you saw that when he made plays, you know, ran, got, you know, little bubble screens, a little catches, and he was running, you know, through the defense. He looked, again, kind of like how I mentioned with Tyrell Pigram, as one of the top athletes on the field, if not the best. Unfortunately, right now, it's just a tough situation for FIU, and a lot of guys are transferring out. They've had multiple transfers this week with Stone Norton, Holloman, and uh, um, offensive lineman uh, uh, Obina Nequano, uh, who started five games or started four games from this year. He's into the transfer portal. So that roster is going to look significantly different and a lot of turnover. And I'll close it with this. Butch Davis said to me last year, I did a piece on Rich Grossi's offense. And Butch Davis said that no receiver wants to come and play in an offense and where the quarterback can't throw the football. Not accusing any of FIU's quarterbacks of not being able to throw the football. I think that's too 
heavy of a charge, but this year the quarterback play was subpar. And I, I guess, you know, that could play have played a factor in his decision to hit the transfer portal. Absolutely. I think it's naive to think otherwise uh, looking at a receiver of his caliber, like you need a, a quarterback that's going to give you the opportunity to shine. And hopefully he gets that wherever he ends up going. Um, with that, then let's let's talk about uh, some Conference USA title game scenarios. Um, so with the cancellation of the Marshall and Charlotte contest that was scheduled for this week, um, Marshall has clinched their spot as winners of the East and uh, one half of that title game matchup. Uh, what's left to be decided is the West. So we have uh, UAB scheduled to play Rice this week after their original matchup against uh, MTSU was uh, canceled. But UAB is kind of facing a scenario where they don't really have a ton of players. That I think we're talking about like less than – 40 players on, on the UAB side, at least as far as, far as scholarship players is, are concerned, um, which then leaves UTSA. Um, they do not have a game scheduled for this week, but um, they are sitting with uh, the next best record in the league, which leaves uh, UTSA sitting at five and two, uh, which would put them in a position to uh, take UAB's place in the title game. If UAB either a loses or B can't, play uh so leaving us with an incredibly entertaining final week of uh cusa competition yeah joe so i'll pick up right there and just kind of note that it, it, this entire scenario it is just indicative of college football in 2020 right marshall has a game that due to you know covid uh, and and i want to read the release directly from them i believe they said a minor amount of, of covid related issues within the program so i want to make sure that's on the record there but they're not going to be able to play and with uh, as as currently constituted because of that cancellation marshall will head to the conference usa title game believe scheduled to host if if it is going to be uab and now uab is in a situation where i tweeted out earlier today i don't envy bill clark because he you know <laughs> what do you tell his players joe i mean i'm kind of almost flabbergasted here because it's like we care about your safety we we Safety first, your student athletes, everything else. But yet we ask you to make this commitment to college football, this commitment to playing a sport. And the end result of that, the, the light end of the tunnel is having a chance to complete, could compete excuse me, for a conference championship. We know that UA has been a, been, a, been a consistent contender since they've rejoined football. And what do you tell the kids? Do you say, guys, I know we only got 30-something, 40 scholarship players, but we're going to power through? Or do you say, hey... I appreciate all your hard work for everything you've done this year. And this has been one of the craziest football seasons on record, but we got to shut this thing down. And unfortunately that's going to deprive you guys of a chance at a uh, playing for a conference title. I don't envy Bill Clark at all in that situation. So I just don't know. Before I pass it back to you, I'm going to read the, the statement verbatim. Uh, the game, Friday's football game, Marshall and Charlotte's been canceled due to injuries and a lack of available thundering herds, thundering herd, scholarship student athletes at key positions this shortage has been exacerbated by a small number of COVID-19 issues so I just wanted to state that on the record that came from Huntington this morning right I think you kind of hit the nail on the head in terms of Bill Clark's position I mean he's really in a, a damned if you do damned if you don't uh scenario whereas like if he 
opts to not play this game, then obviously he's protecting the safety of these players. But if you go into the mindset of a division one college football player, they want to compete all the time. It's sad to see that these athletes are in this position where if they do kind of follow their natural instincts and compete for a title, they're obviously putting themselves, uh, you know, in further danger, a of, of contracting COVID-19 as with any football game and B, you know, getting hurt because they would, you know, a lot of these guys who haven't seen real meaningful action are having to step up and, and fill the spots of these players who aren't available regardless. Uh, and then, you know, but if you, you don't play, then, you know, I, some would perceive that as quitting in, and, you know, I think that's kind of a small minded way to look at it, but you, there are people who are going to look at Bill Clark in that way. And possibly even some people within his own locker room who would think that way. So you're right. I don't think that Bill Clark is in an enviable, enviable position uh, at all right now. Um, I will say for UTSA, um, you know, just because we don't want to make this all about UAB, but, you know, A, hats off to them for playing as well as they've done, but they have to be, you know, kind of on on pins and needles uh, sitting outside Bill Clark's door as he kind of contemplates his next move here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, it's a situation that just we just both hit on it right here. Pins and needles. I mean, do you, I, I, Joe, again, I don't even know what you do. Do you? Given how low they may be on scholarship athletes, and no one has dealt with that situation, you know, probably more intricately than than FIU um, in terms of lack of scholarship athletes throughout the year. Even if you can play, can you practice enough to put together a, a decent game plan? You know, this is these are things I think some fans fail to take into consideration. I say some because we have a lot of knowledgeable you know, CUSA fans out there, fans who follow Conference USA football. They're very passionate, you know, so we have a lot of them who are, who are knowledgeable. But I think some don't take into account. It's not basketball, man. You don't just roll a ball out there and be like, all right, we hooping. <laughs> you know, you got to kind of figure out who's going to play what position. I, I know there were times this year with FIU where they had guys playing on special teams and no wouldn't play special teams, and they had to try to learn a new role just – within two or three days. So to bring that back around to UAB and Bill Clark, even if you can attempt to play, you're probably breaking in guys who either haven't played a ton this year or B, they're playing in spots that they may not be familiar with. And again, I don't know how you sell it to your team, but it's an unenviable position that I certainly don't wish I was in. You know, we're recording this on, on Wednesday morning. So we'll obviously have to wait and see what, uh, coach Clark ends up deciding um, it's, it's going to be, you know, a, a monumentous occasion for sure. Uh, but we'll, we'll see what unfolds over the next 48 hours or so. Um, with that, then let's, let's jump into some talk about the games that uh, as of now are definitely happening within uh, conference USA. Uh, starting with Thursday night, we have Southern Miss hosting FAU uh, FAU favored by eight and a half here. Um, you know, ultimately I'll say this, I'm going to pick FAU. I think, um, you know, what we saw against Georgia Southern was uh, kind of a weird blip. Uh, Southern Miss, obviously, you know, still trying to figure it out with the loss of Jack Abraham, as well as at this point, like more than half the team. Um, but you know, in a game that ultimately doesn't really have any implications on the conference title race, um, you know, I think FAU can, can definitely take some comfort in, winning this game and getting to that six win mark that I think most programs kind of strive to, to hit over the course of a season. 
As you mentioned there, a game that now no longer has implications on the conference title race, FAU Twitter and FAU fans are certainly up in arms about that one. But I'll just kind of piggyback off what you said. For Southern Miss, the Will Hall era is underway and definitely kind of be interested to see. Obviously, he's not coaching this game, but he is in place. So, you know, they can officially move forward with with 2021. You know, they can finish out 2020 for Southern Miss, hopefully on a high note, but they can move forward with Will Hall and see what he's looking to, you know, implement. The Mississippi native, definitely be interested to see what he'll be able to do in his home state. For FAU, I anticipate they'll win this game, A, because right now they're the more talented team, and that's regardless of – the opt-outs are not. I felt that FAU is more talented. I expect them to bounce back from the, the setback at Georgia Southern. The big thing I'm looking to see is quarterback situation, JV and Posey or Nick Tronti taking on a Southern Miss defense that has struggled in many facets throughout the year, but especially in the run game. I think it may be something that either quarterback, both of them can use their legs. Both of them should be able to exploit, whether it's Posey or Nick Tronti. And the running game, we'll see what happens as far as Malcolm Davidson, his availability, James Charles. But Definitely a game that I expect FAU to to kind of run away with. And yeah, I mean, at this point, you know, they're only playing for pride and a potential bowl appearance, but definitely still important for FAU to close the season out on a high note in Willie Taggart's first year. Absolutely. You mentioned Will Hall and kind of his, uh, you know, early days as the head coach of Southern Miss here. Last week's uh, episode had uh, an interview with Emily Van Buskirk, who has uh, gotten to know Will Hall over the course of the last year or so. If you want to go back to the episode that's below this one in the playlist, check that out. Encourage you to do so. Uh, And then on Friday night, we have uh, UTEP hosting North Texas as of now. Um, I mean, look, I think North Texas is uh, the favorite in this one uh, for the reason that, you know, UTEP hasn't played in a great many moons. Um, But uh, I think UTEP is kind of like, you know, obviously they've played well um, by the standards of their program, but it's, as we detailed earlier in the show, it's really hard to get into momentum when you haven't played a game in uh, close to a month here due to COVID-19 issues within the El Paso area. Uh, but yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing North Texas win this game probably by two scores. I think. I won't go as far as to say two scores, you know, that UNT certainly has a dynamic offense, no matter who's playing, and we've talked about Jalen Dart and his impact, but also give credit to the running game. You know, Nick Smith, uh, DeAndre Torrey, you know, it doesn't matter who it's been, Trey Siggers, they've been able to get consistent running play, running back play throughout the year, and that's something that I thought was really needed, especially to kind of balance out the past few years of, you know, kind of the Mason Fine era. For UTEP, I think they're looking forward, should this game be played, they're looking forward to getting back on the field and closing out on a high note. This has been a year of progress. I know people in El Paso, I've done a little bit of El Paso radio this year, and they feel excited and rightfully so. The three wins, that that you know exceeds the total they've had in the past three years. So I know that they definitely are excited. Deion Hankins, looking to see what he can do if indeed this game is played. The El Paso native who is saving the hometown program. Don't think it'll be two scores. I think it'll be a little bit closer than that, especially, like I said, a UTEP team that I think is really eager to get out there and and just play football again. But I do think North Texas will get the victory. Fair enough. Uh, One added wrinkle to this game being played at Apogee Stadium in Denton, but I believe UTEP is technically the home team. Uh, I I 
believe that's correct. Also, you can catch this one on ESPN3. And forgot to mention, you can catch the Southern Miss versus FAU game on CBS Sports Network. Uh, we're originally supposed to have Marshall hosting Charlotte on Friday, but that has been canceled, as we noted, uh, which brings us to Saturday, where we have, uh, as of now, Rice hosting UAB. UAB favored by eight in this game. Uh, as we talked about, UAB dealing with uh, some severe depth issues. Uh, Rice riding high after upsetting Marshall last week. Um, this is going to be a really close, really uh, tight contest. Um, if I had to pick a winner, which I do because it's my job, uh, I'm picking UAB. <laughs> I th- <laughs> um, you know, I think just based on what we've seen out of Spencer Brown this year, I think he can really carry this team to a strong day. Um, Rice obviously showed that like their defense has come a long way over the course of the last uh, few months or so. But ultimately, I just think like – Spencer Brown is is one of the best athletes in CUSA right now. Uh, it's interesting, too, that uh, Austin Watkins has opted out. So I think UAB is going to win, but in order to do that, Spencer Brown is going to have to have a monster day. Joe, I want to correct you. It is our job to make a prediction. Sure. It, it is not our job to pick winners, because anyone who's listened to this podcast <laughs> over the past three years or two of us knows, we've done a crap job at that. So we we, we will make <laughs> Predictions, so winners uh, again. Don't don't uh, don't jump uh, two feet uh, head, head first on on our uh, our choice of winners here. But uh, no, all jokes aside, uh, I'll pick up where you left off. Going to be interesting to see a if this game can even be played, as we've mentioned, with the lack of uh, available scholarship players potentially for UAB. And for that reason alone, I'm going with Rice. I think Rice coming off a huge win are looking to show that that was no fluke. And what necessarily a win over a depleted UAB team shows. Who knows, but it's great for the momentum heading into next season, right? So give me rice. Fair enough. And then closing out the weekend slate, we have TCU hosting Louisiana Tech. Uh, Horn Frogs favored by 21 and a half on this game that you can catch on FS1. Um, I don't really see any reason to think uh, TCU will not uh, follow through on those expectations. Uh, but obviously Louisiana tech, uh, we saw them, uh, play a tough contest last week. Hopefully they have a little bit of momentum now that they've actually like been able to get in, you know, a rhythm. Uh, so I, I think they'll keep this close, but ultimately I think Louisiana or rather, I think Texas Christian is going to win this game. <laughs> Yeah, I'll make this one quick. You know, I think that Tech will go there and challenge and push hard. Probably would have loved to have seen this game last year with guys like Amika Robertson and, and Jarius Need and guys like that, Jamar Smith on the roster. But as far as Texas Christian goes, they have their own version of Asher O'Hara. That's kind of like what I like to refer to Max Duggan as. You know, he's a guy who uh, leads the team in rushing, but not necessarily a phenomenal scrambler, but he's someone who uh, has run for 513 yards this year and nine touchdowns. Not you know Michael Vick-esque or anything like that or uh, Kyler Murray, but definitely someone who can make some plays with his legs and is a sufficient passer as well. Nine TDs, four picks, uh, completing just under 60% of his passes. I do think that TC is the more talented team, and TC will get the victory. It's going to be an interesting weekend uh, if it plays out as scheduled. Obviously, there's uh, a little bit of time between now and Saturday, so we'll, uh, we'll see what the next few hours brings in terms of news postponements, cancellations, what have you. Uh, Follow at Underdog Dynasty on Twitter to keep updated with that. Uh, If you want, you can also follow Eric and myself at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore and at 
Eric C. Henry underscore. And uh, of course, check out underdogdynasty.com for the latest episodes of the Underdog Podcast and more G5 football content now and in the coming weeks as we continue to dissect everything COVID-19 related and uh, occasionally talk about the games that are actually getting played. (laughs) Uh, Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you very soon. Stay safe, happy, and healthy. Happy football watching, everybody.